Movies like Logan proved that the anti-hero movie can work. Movies like Punisher proved that it's not always that easy. The DCEU proved that no matter what you do, haters are gonna hate. However, when a film comes in threatening to upset the balance of power, it's a tall order. So it's time to revisit Black Adam and see that in the end, it's not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And I am stoked. Not because of the movie that we're covering. That's just a movie. I am stoked because returning to the show, my Just Another Nerd Show co-host, Kevin Hilston, is back. Welcome back, Kev. How are you doing, man? Ooh, yeah. Let's dust off the mic for this one. Yeah, let's go. You you remember Uh, how the microphone works, right? I yeah, I, you press the on switch and uh that's all it is. It's a lot less complicated than women I find. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to say as well right off the bat, I turned on this movie and my dad walks in and he goes, "Oh, is that African American Adam?" I said, "Dad, it, I don't I don't think <laughs> I don't think this was I it kind of confused me a little bit. I'm like, "Is he black adam because he's black or he's wearing black it's the they painted it black it's, they you you can say it it's okay i don't know i don't know man. <laughs> i'm so confused oh man oh man yeah and the subject for today of course is black adam now kev obviously we talked about this movie over on just another nerd show last year um mm-hmm. i'm gonna ask you though because you know you were also involved in some of the greeting on a curve episodes were you surprised little spoiler alert here, that this actually did not get any Razzie nominations at all. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I <laughs> I watched the movie again today in preparation for this episode, and I actually found, and you know how I am. Usually I come on this show for It's Not That Bad, and I find new ways to tear movies a new asshole. This time, I genuinely enjoyed it. I actually, like, I found maybe two or three things I didn't like about it um, and, and a few recurring things, but I'm not surprised it wasn't nominated for any Razzies. I, I, I actually think this movie's better than it than it, the got. Right. I mean, to, you know, to quote Cinema Sins, there is no film without sin, um, but you're right. Like, it's it got a lot of heat and a lot of hate at the time, but we're going to figure out why. But before we do, it is time to take this late entry into the DCEU and trailerize it. Dwayne Johnson, star of the sequel to The Mummy, the sequel to Get Shorty, the sequel to G.I. Joe, the sequel to Jumanji, the sequel to Journey to the Center of the Earth, and multiple Fast and the Furious sequels is late to the party once again in the sloppy seconds follow-up to Shazam. He's Teth Adam, a champion to the people of Kondok, with the power of the gods, but not of the box office. He'll float through a comic book film with more slow-mo shots than a Zack Snyder John Woo sizzle reel and the same level of dialogue. He'll beat up the good guys, beat up the bad guys, and beat up the reputation of the DCEU. But let's be honest, 
Wonder Woman 1984 already put the nail in that coffin. Dwayne Johnson is Black Adam. Rated PG-13. For Peacemaker was greater. <laughs> Peacemaker was a lot better than this. I, I have to give credit where credit is due here. Yes. Uh, Peacemaker was also evidently the better version of Secret Invasion, I found out later. <laughs> Sadly, in a strange kind of way, complete with a much better dance scene than probably the entire MCU. Well, oh, I don't know. That's That song was on repeat in my, in my car for a solid six weeks. Oh, I mean, shout out to Wigwam for arguably the second best song of any comic book property whether it be tv or film second only of course to the avengers musical i can do this all day i heard that was a real musical they're turning it into something that like i guess at the probably the california campus of like of of disney world where they've got the avengers campus i think they're actually turning that into one of those little pop-up shows that comes up like every couple of hours which uh I, apparently i need to go to california now yeah, I'll, I'll help them market this. Do you have $1,200 to spend on two tickets? Come to Disney oh, it's today. Not, it's not that much. It'll be that much. You ever been to Disney, buddy? You're going to lose half your wallet. Uh, sadly, I have, and sadly, I also lost my wallet. But let's get back <laughs> to talking about Black Adam here. This film stars Dwayne Johnson, Aldous Hodge, Pierce Brosnan, Noah Centineo, Quintessa Swindell, Sarah Shahi, Marwan Kanzari, and Bodhi Sabongwi. And I apologize if I messed up any of those names. I'm doing my best here. There were also cameos, lots of them, by Jamon Hansu, Viola Davis, Henry Cavill, Jennifer Holland, and Henry Winkler for the some reason. However, there is an almost starring in this one here. Nazanin Baniadi from Homeland and Hotel Mumbai was originally chosen to play Adriana, but the role eventually went to Sarah Shahi. The film is directed by Jamie Collette Sarah, uh, who pr- prior to this had directed Jungle Cruise, so uh, they get to do the, the rock double dip there. However, it was almost directed by Jordan Peele, who apparently turned the film down because he's not that big into superhero films and he wanted to leave it so someone else who liked superhero movies could direct that. I'm, I'm, before we go on, I'm curious though. A Jordan Peele directed Black Adam film. How would that have done? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I I didn't know he was in the running, so I can't comment on that. I truth be told, I've only ever seen Get Out of his work, and I've I've binged Key and Peele on repeat. I'd like to think it would be very good. I think he's a very talented director. Uh, but it, it would be vastly different. <laughs> I, I think it would be. And I, I think you'd get a lot of people interested because, of course, you know, the idea of Jordan Peele as a director these days. I mean, he's, you know, one, one of the hotter names, at least as far as, as you know, especially horror films goes. I, I, I think it would be a, a bit of a draw to have his name attached to the film. Uh, but it wasn't. And this is what we got. As mentioned prior, there are actually no Razzie nominations for this film. However, there are some accolades here. It was nominated for Best Original Score in a Sci-Fi Film at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards. The movie was nominated for Action Movie of 2022 at the People's Choice Awards, and Dwayne Johnson was nominated for Male Movie Star of the Year. At the Black Reel Awards, Quintessa Swindell was nominated for Outstanding Breakthrough Performance Male, 
keep in mind Quintessa Swindell identifies as they, so that's totally cool. At the Visual Effects Society Awards, it was nominated for Outstanding Special Practical Effects in a Photo Reel or Animated Project. At the IFTA Film and Drama Awards, Pierce Brosnan was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And at the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards, Black Adam was nominated for Favorite Movie, and Dwayne Johnson won for Favorite Movie Actor. So, not always the bridesmaid, sometimes it gets to be the bride, sometimes it actually gets to win. Where it didn't win was at the box office. The film had a budget of $195 million and domestically it only grossed $168 million. Worldwide it made $393. When it debuted on the October 21st, 2022 weekend, it dominated at number one with a $67 million box office, the, the second highest grossing film. Also in its debut was Ticket to Paradise. Now, that being said, on a per-screen basis, Black Adam finished second. It was released in 4,402 theaters, according to boxofficemojo.com, for a per-screen average of $15,221. However, The Banshees of Inisherin also debuted in very, very, very limited release. Four theaters. Four. For a gross of $184,454, but that meant that it averaged $46,113 per screen, making it the highest per screen or per theater total. But the reason why we are here, and not because we've missed you, Kev, because we have, we have. Who's we? We, What's this we thing, man? We as in myself and the audience listening at this point. Oh, yeah. Right? Remember, we're not just doing this just so we can talk. There are people actually listening, I hope. Exactly. Right? Oh, exactly, yeah. Hey, do you have the box office numbers right in front of you? I do have the box office numbers right in front of me. How did they do in China? Surprisingly, boxofficemojo.com does not have anything listed from China. Yeah, that that intrigues me. So I've been saying this for years when we were talking about on Just Another Nerd Show is that when we were talking about WandaVision and we were talking about how I don't think they would do the Mephisto thing because I think there's a law or a guideline or some kind of barrier in place um, that the Chinese government has in place that they don't let devil characters be on the screen. I think it's illegal, but don't quote me on that. Um, so that's why I was like, ooh, they went for Sabak and Black Adam. I don't know how well they're going to do in China then because there's a lot of movie theaters that I'm sure would uh, stray from that. So that that's what I was just curious about that. That's why. I mean, you are seeing a lot of pushback on North American release movies for a variety of reasons, whether it be uh, references of LGBTQ+, plus, uh, references of the, uh, the, I can't remember how many dashes it is, the line between China and <laughs> Vietnam and Barbie kind of thing. Like, you're seeing movies have to sit there and, and juggle the decision of whether they're actually going to put the content in and serve the film or maybe make an edit or release a, a, a have a release specifically for that market and i mean you're you're seeing i think box offices especially the worldwide box office 
really start to suffer for certain films because they can't be released in those markets. And it almost feels like you have to have an asterisk in place for, you know, certain eras of time where they're being, where they're, you know, locking down on content in these films. Yeah, they needed, long story short, they needed another magic person not named Zach Levi to show up and kick Black Adam's ass a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, they had they had a cameo. They had a cameo. But before we get to that part, we have to talk about why we're here, which is the critics. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 41. And over on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 88%. The Tomatometer. 50 points down at 38%. Now, you and I both have, have discussed this on numerous occasions here. Comic book films are for comic book geeks. And with an audience score of 88%, you have to think that the audience, you know, they got served in a good way. Why the hate from the credit? Like, I, I can see if both numbers were under 50% or under 60%, you could sit there and see, okay, there's a little bit. That That's a 50-point swing. What went wrong with the critics? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And I know, I know you, you're expecting an answer out of me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to say right off the bat, it was the two or three knocks that I had um, were from a narrative standpoint. It's the same thing that I have when I see a Transformers movie and I walk out of it and I either say one of three things and I, <laughs> Forgive me, my girlfriend's behind me. She can hear this, and and she's uh, she's been victim to my spiel's. Um, but I say one of three things coming out of a Transformers movie. I either say a, there was a lot of battling robots, and the humans felt kind of thrown in, or two, that human storyline dragged on way too long. I needed more from the battling robots, or three, uh, we went entirely on Cybertron and we blew the entire budget. Now, I have a point with this because in Black Adam, I think we were trying for a big superhero movie and the two humans, I'm going to call them humans because they're not metahumans, but the two Kondok natives that we kind of focused around was um, Buddy and his mom. It was not an interesting storyline. I, I could not stand the kid. He was like, do you use a catchphrase? I'm like, okay, are you trying to paint Black Adam as some quippy hero or is he trying to be a you know, irredeemable anti-hero. What, what are we going for here? So I feel like Black Adam lacked identity because of who they put around him. I loved the JSA. I wish actually that they had leaned a bit more into what they did in Batman v Superman because they kind of teased it a little bit with every metahuman having their own logo, so to speak, and that Amanda Waller has like categorized them. I would have loved it if it was like Ben Affleck's Batman maybe building the team and you know, he was doing it from the JSA space station or something. Like, I, I just think they could have done a bit more with that, with world building. They kind of kept it a little more contained, which is fine. That's fine. Um, and while we're on this topic, Cyclone was useless and thrown in. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I, I need to put this out there because you, you know how we like to kind of pontificate what could have been or storylines that could have been. And when you take a look at the DCEU, I mean, right off the bat... You know, with Batman v Superman, there was this, it's almost like they were like, okay, so the Avengers had their Thanos kind of thing and they're getting close to Infinity War and whatnot. So we need to dark side this like super quick and we need to Justice League this really quick. And here, you know, and then of course there were like little, you know, 
there's going to be a list somewhere out there of the failure to starts from the DCEU, including, um, you know, the little talking caterpillar at the end of Shazam and, um, you know, like the, the whole nightmare sequence kind of thing that, that was in the original Batman uh, v Superman, the, uh, the Joss Whedon version. Here, the fact that you had Amanda Waller dealing directly with the Justice Society of America... If they had continued on their way, it would have been fascinating to see Waller, instead of using Suicide Squad, because they're just a complete group of mess-ups, use the JSA to work against the Justice League. That would have been fascinating, and Black Adam becomes a recruit to use against them. Then you would have gotten that Superman v. Black Adam, because, of course, Superman's weakness is magic. So, fascinating. Could have been good. We're not going to get to see it. But here we are. I still think they should have. I know they were saving it. And I feel like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Knowing that James Gunn was going to take over, Peter Saffron, all those guys. I feel like we're, we've been snubbed of a Dwayne Johnson, Zach Levi showdown. Mm. Like, uh, I, not, that, not that that would have been great. I'm not saying the outcome wouldn't have been the same as probably this movie. But I feel snubbed of it. And I felt like maybe we should have gotten that in a Black Adam origin story. If you're going to tease it in Shazam, give it to us in the Black Adam movie. Like, please, don't save things. Mm. And I, I think people's you know hopes and appetites were were ready for this. Because, of course, there is the the animated um, uh, Shazam and Superman versus Black Adam. It's I think it's like a, a half an hour uh, directed DVD kind of thing, and it's really, really good if you mm-hmm. like the animated DC universe. And I think people were looking at that as a template for what could have been, but instead we got this. And I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying, like, you know, you're building up all these crossovers, and then you have this, which feels, until certain parts, kind of on its own island. Yeah, there's there's a reason why in the Flash when they basically what connected the entire a spoiler alert i guess whatever uh in the flash they connected the entire dceu and everything they went back to like adam west's batman like everything why was if black adam was going to be the new hierarchy of the dc universe why wouldn't flash have asked for a clip from that movie is there something to be said about dwayne johnson going into franchises and acting like Hey, man, I've been here all along. This is mine now. Like, come on, man. It, it makes you wonder, too. I mean, okay, before we get in, actually, we'll just start with this right now because Dwayne yeah. Johnson, of course, is first on the breakdown as Black Adam. Of course, going into this film, you mentioned it yourself, right? The hierarchy of or the power balance of power in the DCEU is about to change. He came in all guns blazing, uh, yeah. you know, working the, the, the rock media machine as it is. Regardless of how he was as Black Adam, regardless of how he was as Teth Adam, do you think that his, for lack of a better term, bluster and, you know, like the larger than life online presence of Dwayne Johnson took away or at least started to sour people on this movie? I don't think so. I, I dare I say, and this might be an unpopular opinion, I think he was perfectly cast as Black Adam. I wouldn't have minded a non-bald. Like, I think I needed just a thin layer of hair on top of that head, like in the comics, like in the animated uh, shorts or animated movies. Um, 
I think he was perfectly cast. There were moments, though, and I don't know who to point the finger at, unfortunately. I don't know whether it was Dwayne Johnson thinking he's got to be quippier than he actually is, or if it was the writers saying, you know, we got to add a little bit of comedy, we need to have a joke. There was one joke in the whole thing that landed, and that was because they had set it up for the past 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it, it was when the JSA was kind of fighting him, and then they were looking for the kid in these like hover bikes. And Dwayne Johnson was throwing a guy up in the air, I guess, to try and interrogate him or whatever it was. And then, and then Doctor Fate comes in and he goes, "If you still have one alive, I can break his mind and we'll figure out where the kid is together." And it, Black Adam just kind of gives him this look. And I know what's happening. I'm like, oh, this guy's flying through the air. He's going to land in the background. And it actually landed. I I chuckled a little bit. I thought that was fine. That's all I need from Black Adam. I don't want him to be the center focus. I don't want him to be the comedy. Like, I I don't want there to be any lighthearted music in this movie. I want it to be dark. I want him to, you know, be the the killer or just have no compassion whatsoever uh, for these mercenaries and for these, these bad people. I felt like I got it at times, but I, I, I felt kind of robbed of it. I don't know. The joke landed, and so did the guy from Intergang. Hardly. <laughs> um, but I, I, I will say, I mean, obviously, this has been one of the things that the DCEU has been plagued with ever since. Well, really, ever since the beginning, since Man of Steel. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone was complaining that Superman doesn't kill people. And, you know, it was so dark. Thanks, Deadpool. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this, you know, Suicide Squad comes out and they're like, well, we have to change the film. It's got to be quippier because of Avengers, right? And, you know, the tonal difference between Zack Snyder's Justice League and Joss Whedon's Justice League is so night and day. And Batman versus Superman has absolute zero, you know, laughs or quips in it that people were saying it was so dark. You know, it's there. There, people keep saying that there's a formula to superhero films. And I think to a point there is, but there's also that risk of feeling formulaic. You know, I think very few DCEU films really nailed the formula without feeling like they were trying to nail the formula. I think the first Wonder Woman film nailed the formula. Um, You know, you've got Chris Pine, who is naturally funny, uh, you know, naturally has has a, a gift for you know, getting the, the audience to laugh without feeling like it's quippy. Gal Gadot was perfect as Wonder Woman. I think the first Shazam film, while it's, you know, it leaned more towards a funnier film, still hit the formula right for exactly what it was. The first Aquaman film, you know, say what you will about Amber Heard, I'd think she was okay in that film, uh, you know, person personality and real world aside, I think she was pretty good in there. Um, here, you're right. Black Adam is, is an anti-hero. And the template for the anti-hero in, you know, in 2022 when this comes out has to be Logan. That has to be what you look at and go, if we need to be anything with this property, we need to lean on that tonality. Yes, reluctant hero, questionable morals, but the audience knows at the end of the day they will do the right thing reluctantly. Yeah. Or because of some circumstance. And I think you're right. I don't think there's anyone out there who would have been a, as as good a pick as Black Adam, as Dwayne Johnson. It's almost like he was made to be that. And Parasite, I could do with that. 
and the fact that they play him as an anti-hero instead of a straight villain well that's out of the new 52 line so that's okay too i just think you're right in this case teth adam cannot be the bringer of quips you can have other people funny around him he can't be the bringer of quips he needs to be the bringer of kick-ass yeah a uh, question for you yes speaking of oh what was the word you used before talk about there being like a uh, um uh like a story laid out for superhero movies what was the word you oh, used the template oh, a template thank you if, if we're speaking of a template so going into this movie i thought to myself okay because I, I didn't really remember before today i didn't really remember what the storyline was i was like okay i think this happens then this happens big punchy punchy adam smasher gets big um I thought to myself, okay, what would be the most reasonable plot if I were making this movie? And I thought to myself, okay, Black Adam needs to show up, be a bad dude, or at least get on somebody's radar. He needs to be stopped. And then there needs to be a greater threat that our initial heroes that stopped him can't stop. And they actually need to release him and work together with him. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's the plot of this movie. Having said that, if we are following that plot line, was this the team of four? Like, objectively speaking, obviously we know how this movie ends and everything. Was this really the team of four that was going to stop Black Adam if that was the template? I mean, you have Hawkman for brute force. No problem there. I, I loved Hawkman, by the way. His personality matches Black Adam's perfectly. Mm-hmm. Go on. You have Dr. Fate, so magic versus magic. Makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you can make an argument for Cyclone in that you need someone who's going to be able to use the elements and create distractions so you can, you know, maybe disguise the magic and the brute force as they're coming towards him. You just described Dr. Fate, but go on. Mm-hmm. Well, she's unnecessary. <clears throat> she is unnecessary. I, I think if she's the distraction, that means fate can focus on the magic. So I, I okay. have no problem with, 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 with Cyclone there. Adam Smasher. I got a huge problem with Adam Smasher because you have to think that you're sending someone who is untrained, you know, wearing their Mm -hmm. uncle's suit and you're dealing with, uh, you know, seemingly everyone knows all about Black Adam. Um, So why would you send someone who's that green into the, into Kondok and basically, you know, that what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I was fully expecting him to pass out at one point, but then I was like, ah, they can't go for a full Ant-Man ripoff. Because, <laughs> you know, all that energy being used, and then he's eating a bucket of KFC or something after. I think Noah Centineo did a great job with his character, though. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if he's going to be the comedy, if he's going to be your Deadpool-type character, he's got the eyes and the mask for it and everything. Um, if he's going to be your Deadpool-type character, if he's going to be used for laughs, Pierce Brosnan, more of a serious character. Aldous Hodge, more of a serious character. Cyclone, again, just an afterthought. Um, can we not have Black Adam be quippy? I know I know, I said it before, but I, I liked that, that Smasher was used for some things. Adam needed to be really intense. See, there, He was at times, but there's this one. There's this one line, and, and again, you know, one or two of the quips kind of fit. I think at the end and by the way if you haven't seen black adam by now you're on your own um if at the end where adam smasher is trying to to connect and say i thought we made it you know a good team you know 
black guy. It's like, I thought we made a, a great team, you know, and you can see him wanting to talk more. It's like, don't, don't push it. That that's fine. Cause that kind of fits into the character of black Adam. Like, okay, we saved the day we saved Kondok and yeah, that's it. We are nothing. You, you know, I, I, I nothing you Adam smasher. But let's get to Aldous Hodge as Hawkman here. You said you loved him. What was it about him? Oh, I loved, I think his character, it just made sense that we, that he's the one, if we're going on this story, I know I said before that I, I would love it if Ben Affleck's Batman was the one to assemble the team. But if that wasn't on the table, which I understand, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. Uh, actors busy, obviously with the whole Justice League roster breaking up and getting back together and breaking up again. Uh, because of various different issues, which we won't get into right now, but, you know, read a paper, folks. <laughs> um, if Aldous Hodge's Hawkman had to run this team, I think it was so good. And I think his, his suit looked incredible. I think Aldous did a fantastic job on the character work and the, in the, um, uh, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm, I'm missing English today, Wes. I'm missing English. <laughs> That's okay. I'm missing, I'm missing some words, but his, his basic blocking and, and, and script work and stuff was really good. I think his character and Black Adam's character were good because they both had a level of ego that caused, uh, conflict, if that makes sense. Because Dr. Fate has a very chill approach to it. He can clearly subdue his enemies if, if need be. Adam Smasher's green. Cyclone's pretty green. It's Hawkman that needed to push the needle for us to see those big DCEU level fights. And mm-hmm. I loved it. I think it was really, really cool. Yeah, you you had very much uh, you know, stubborn versus stubborn in between yeah. Hawkman and Black Adam. But... but- to that token, I mean, as much as I liked Aldous Hodge as Hawkman, I thought he was great. And, you know, if they are going to carry some people over from, you know, for lack of a better term, Earth 1 to Earth 2, you know, now that we're post-Flash, um, I would love to see Aldous Hodge stay as Hawkman. He brought the intensity. He brought, I mean, two, like you, you nailed it too with the costume. Like, I remember when we saw the trailer and the wings come out and we're like oh, hawkman looks so awesome like it doesn't look like some cheesy outfit you know there's no feathering in there whatsoever it's a very you know cinematic dceu costume look where i think they actually nailed it um but i think at some point you know when it came to aldous hodge and his his moments with dwayne johnson at least in character those moments stayed at one level and they kept at one level it was when aldous hodge played against pierce brosnan and that's where you had like the the goods you know between Mm -hmm. the two of them you had this idea that they had worked together for years there's a long friendship of course we know that you know hawkman has a very long lifespan as does dr fate so you can tell that these two characters have worked together for a long time and they know each other and it, it doesn't have to be spelled out. You know, the camaraderie is there. You know, the the ease going into danger is there for both of them. And I think Aldous Hodge was better as Hawkman playing against Pierce Brosnan as opposed to playing against Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. I agree. But speaking of Pierce Brosnan, Dr. Fate. How enjoyable was this? I, I was trying to find a reason not to like it. I love Dr. Fate. I love his comic book appearances. I love every time he's in any animated form ever, whether it be on Young Justice or on 
Titans or anything, man. I absolutely love this character. I was trying to nitpick one part, and then I just thought to myself, you know, Kevin, shut the hell up. Just be grateful <laughs> for what you got. Because I, I was thinking at one point, I'm like, you know, Dr. Fate, when he takes off the helmet, he does just go back to being Kent. He's just Kent. <laughs> Anywhere else, he'd be a 10. No, uh, <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not doing No, 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 no. We're not doing the Barbie thing. Um but, you know, when he takes off the helmet in the comics, he does go back to just being Kent. So I, I was thinking, I'm like, ah, okay, it's a little bit of a different take on the character. And then I was like, man, shut up. Like, this is how we get Pierce Brosnan and his incredible performance. I, I thought he, dare I say a little early here, He's he was in my finalists for MVP. I mean, I, I, I think that's an easy pick if you're looking for yeah. MVP finalists here. And I'm just now wondering if he puts the Ken in Kent Nelson. But that being said, um, <laughs> I there I do actually have a bone to pick with the portrayal of Dr. Fate. And it has nothing to do with Pierce Brosnan because you're right. He was the absolute perfect person for this role. And he just oozed that Pierce Brosnan charm and suave as Kent Nelson. But I mean, they alluded to Dr. Fate as like a man possessed when he's wearing the helmet. And rather than seem pretty in control, that's that's the thing, right? Like if if you watch (laughs) justice league unlimited or if you watched young justice, you know that the helmet kind of has a mind of its own and it takes control of the person who's wearing it. And you know, does refuses to want to let go of for lack of a better term the host and you know like here we have you know kent nelson without the helmet on suave right and with the helmet on suave but looks dope you know that's pretty much the way it goes um we didn't see that level of i needed less doctor strange i needed more venom Exactly. That, that's, yeah. That is almost the perfect definition of it because, yeah. yes, we, we need to hear, and we got a little bit of that in the sound design, we need to hear the helmet kind of speak for Kent as opposed to Kent speaking through the helmet. And yeah. now apparently there was a deleted scene where the helmet is picked up by an unknown person. I wondered if this, rather than be the setup for... Um, you know, an eventual Superman versus Black Adam kind of thing, if this was also going to lead into the eventually canceled Zatanna project. I I heard that it was to lead into Zatanna. That that was that was my rumblings, my understanding of that deleted scene. Um, it was supposed to be her, I believe. I don't know who they had casted, though. I, I Did we ever do a fan cast for Zatanna? Oh, I mean, I'm telling you right now, if Alexandra Daddario was not Zatanna, then the DCEU failed. I mean, it did. Well, yes, it did, actually, <laughs> come to think of it. Yeah, the hierarchy changed, buddy. You're on the other end of the teeter-totter. Okay, pal? <laughs> wait, 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 what Earth are we on right now? I'm, I'm on the Earth where the DCEU succeeded, maybe? We're on Earth 69420, where all we have to say is, Nice. Ah, nice. Cool, cool, cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. That's it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Quintessa Swindell as Cyclo. Now, apparently the role was supposed to be Stargirl, um, but they went with Cyclo. So much better. So much better. See, I argue that one, though. I think if you had Stargirl in there, then you had two characters that brought brute force with a large whacking object. With Cyclone, at least you had a different power set, so something different to look at. If... The DC directors, if the DC president, well, this is all pre-James Gunn, right? Yes. If they actually communicated, I actually would have preferred Sasha Cali in this movie and in The Flash. Then you would have had two breakout performances from the young and restless star as Supergirl. I would have much rather had her on the team. I think she's a perfect, perfect tease for Superman versus Black Adam. You would have seen kind of what it's like, but we, we all would have walked out of there going, yeah, Henry Cavill would have clapped him though. Like, right? So, no, no, but we not, wouldn't have known. Not, not Supergirl, Stargirl. Very no, I'm different. saying Supergirl. I'm saying Supergirl. <laughs> well, the thing is, in the comic books, it makes sense because uh, Stargirl and Adam Smasher are kind of a thing in the comic book. So that kind of does make sense. But I mean, I think Quintessa Swindell as Cyclone, um, even as the, the, the alter ego, um, I think they played it very well. I think they did a very good job of playing Cyclone for for what the role was. And I think visually, yes, this film does rely on a whole lot of slow-mo, like ramp speed shots and then go right down to like, you know, 25% speed. Um, But I think they did very well in the role for what the role was. Yeah, what the hell's up with that? I noticed that partway through. I'm like, Cyclone, every time she uses her powers... It was like, I'm like, it's inevitable. At some point, they're going to slow it down and show her turning gracefully. Mm-hmm. And she's beautiful. Like, don't get me wrong. It's it's a beautiful shot. Um, but so unnecessary. <laughs> it, it's like, if, if we're taking from everything here, it's the, you know, it's the vapor clouds of Morbius combined with the super slow-mo of 300. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's just unnecessary, man. Like, it's not even like Snyder vision, like Zack Snyder's, you know, oh, it was his style. No, it, it had nothing to do with that. It was just, they needed to make her look cool. And they made her look cool the same way, like four or five times throughout the movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, what what else do you do with someone who controls wind? Well, I mean, Cyclone is a descendant of Red Tornado. And right. Red Tornado could have been a very, very cool character. Um, but I don't know if you would want to, you know, let's be honest. Cyclone is kind of the Smurfette of this JSA team that they've sent in to stop Black Adam. You know, because you have to have, for lack of a better term, the Smurfette. It's a Hollywood cliche. It needs to happen. Red Tornado would have been a very cool character. And then you could have had focused wind powers in there. Yeah. I don't know. I need, I needed, I needed something else. I'm going to just leave it at that. I needed something else. It wasn't Cyclone. She wasn't doing it for me. But that being said, if you're going to have quips at any point, having quips or lighter moments between Cyclone and Atom Smasher works because they're yeah. green because they're they're not as weathered and worn as dr fate and hawkman here's where you could have had the lightness in the movie and i think again between noah centineo and quintessa swindell i thought they both did very well in that sense yeah quintessa did great yeah like if you think about the banter between black widow and hawkeye it's it's kind of at that level, but almost like at a young smitten kind of level. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. I, I as you can tell, I'm kind of indifferent on on this personally. I I could be without it, and it didn't. Uh, yeah. Well, we talked a little yeah. bit about, about No and Centineo um, earlier as Adam Smasher, but getting into the character, my first thought on this is this: You're right. It's kind of like the combination of Ant-Man and Deadpool. And, you know, the way the mask looks doesn't take that Deadpoolness away from it. Personally, I thought Noah Centineo was better out of the suit as opposed to in the suit. Yeah, it, it was almost like he puts the mask on and he felt he needed to be Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he was far better as just Al. Yeah. Outside the suit, just Al. I, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, you have some people that are able to do both. You know, we talked about the Batman rule, right? Most people who, who don the cowl are either a great Batman and an okay or not good Bruce Wayne, or they're a great Bruce Wayne and they're not necessarily the best Batman. I think here, the only person I think that really you know, separated, for lack of a better term. Um, the superhero from the alter ego may have been Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. You know, Cyclone, there wasn't as much um, character development to a point. Um, Hawkman was just smashy, smashy all the way through. Here, there is a difference between Al and Adam Smasher. And I think you're, he was, he was a better Al. You know, there's a lot of times that actors talk about that too. Uh, I remember I watched a documentary on the Mandalorian and I apologize. I know it's not DC, but uh, the, the, the stand-in that plays the Mandalorian when Pedro Pascal is not there, he has requested that he puts on the suit 
as a part of his prep because it helps him get into character. I wonder if that was the same thing with Noah Centineo, that he, you know, if he got in the suit, he felt he was more in character. Like he was, uh, he was the Atom Smasher, you know? And then he was just Al on the side, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, Part of the issue, I think, possibly with some of the the comic book movies today, and you see, you know, a lot of the actors they're wearing the the mocap suits and the you know tons of dots and balls and whatever on the the, the gray latex and whatnot, and it's not the actual suit. And in some cases, you you can't get around it. You just can't. Like Robert Downey Jr. is not going to walk in a bunch of tinfoil around the set all day. Um, oh, why not? Well, you know, it'd be cool. <laughs> It'd be cool, right? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You know, an outfit like Captain America, you can wear that all day. All you gotta do is take off the the the, the mask if you need be, right? Um, you know, with Thor, yeah, of course he's gonna walk around dressed like that. It's okay, right? I think here because of course, did you, did you hear about that Thor suit? By the way, which one? He 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 used to complain about it. Well, like for the first part, I think it was the first Thor suit, like all the way up until Avengers: Age of Ultron, and then they kind of fixed it. But they used to have these like kind of PNC pipes or like tubes that would kind of run throughout the suit, and they would literally have like a a, a what's the word? Is oh god, like a like a pump thing to pump water into his suit so he could, he could cool down. It didn't breathe at all. Oh so wow. He's walking around in it. It's not the same as like a tracksuit, like Captain America or like a onesie, like Iron Man. You know, like he's he's got the full thing there, showing off the guns too. Well, I mean, there's the thing. Like you go back and watch the original, you know, Michael Keaton Batman in that first movie, and that's that suit is stiffer than a virgin on prom night. Like he can barely move in that thing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, try a picture. Get that out of your image now. <laughs> We went there. Okay. Uh, Moving on to Sarah Shahi, who played Adriana Tomaz, the woman who can read everything. How was she? She was okay. I I, I said this at the beginning of the show, so I I feel bad for kind of reiterating it, but I felt like the uh, Kondok storyline, it shouldn't have been as thrown in as it felt like. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to leave it at that. She was the best of the three. I didn't mind Muhammad Amer. I think that's his name. That's Kareem, uh, yeah. I've seen his stand-ups. He was, he's pretty solid as a uh, support comedic role. I think he was solid in that. Um, the baby comeback part was, I was belting it with him in the theater. <laughs> baby comeback. And that's why you're not allowed back at that theater. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, uh, she was fine. She was, she was a good um, emotional grounding character for Black Adam. Yeah. Her son was a bit, I like I wouldn't have minded if she gave him up for adoption. Wow. wow. Yeah, I know. He he was too annoying for me. Too annoying. I, okay. I, I completely agree. Mohammed Amir as Kareem, again, really brought the quips. And that's where you're right. The, the quips should not be coming out of Black Adam. It should be inside characters like that. And that works out well. Uh, and I think the moments with Kareem and Black Adam, of course, where he's sitting down watching his movie on the TV and Black Adam's like, you know, moving the chair as he walks kind of thing like those are great moments or when he's you know after he got shot and then uh dr fate's like you know i i, I can see the future and this isn't how you die stay away from electricity but i'm an electrician like those are good moments those are yes. fun right yes. let let the non-meta humans be funny 
away from the battle. Um, but if you're looking at the three of them, like I'm, I'm not gonna sit there and rip on Bodhi Sang, uh, Sebingui. Uh, again, I apologize if I messed up that name as a mon. I, I, it's not him. It's the script. And the problem with that is that he's like the Kundak Freddie Freeman from, from the first Shazam. It's almost like they yep. took the same character with the yep. same superhero love and just copied and pasted from the Shazam script over to the Black Adam script. And we already had that and it worked well with Shazam. Yeah. Here, you can have someone who is interested in superhero lore, but not like a discount Freddie Freeman. Because we've already seen that and it worked in Shazam. Here, you needed someone who was a little more maybe leery of superheroes. Mm. Maybe if rather than have superhero worship, you have superhero disdain because, of course, they're not coming. They're not stopping intergang. They're not interceding mm-hmm. and saving conduct. So someone who's going to do what needs to be done and kill these intergang members, you know, then you have someone who's worshiping anti-hero culture. And that makes for fascinating because like you're supposed to like the superheroes. They're supposed to save the day. And right. you know, if the whole big thing from Adriana is that she's dismissive of the justice society because they don't come and save conduct like black adam is you would think that that disdain bleeds into a mod yeah yeah i'd have to agree with you on that um it all stems from the parenting folks be a good parent yeah i mean i understand that in any superhero or big adventure type thing where you have you know Doctor Who has to have the companion. Transformers has to have, for lack of a, a better analogy, their wit wikis, you know, um, because those non-super characters are us. We are the companion when we ride along with Doctor Who. We are the wit wikis who want to help the Transformers. You know, there are people who are watching this film and they're they're siding with Adriana and Amon because they want to see the anti-hero save conduct, right? They're supposed to be the the eyes and ears of us. And unfortunately, the script didn't do them any justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was a bit of a letdown. Um that that was a big knock on the script for me at least. Is that they I and I like the twist at the end. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I really liked that we were told the story all throughout. And then throughout it was kind of we were almost piecing not piecing together, but it was like we were recontextualizing the same story because we got better clarity from a more reliable, well, if you want to call it more reliable, it's still thousands and thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. But uh Yes, like we, we started to get, oh no, this is what I heard. And of course, Teth Adam is the only one who can corroborate that story because he was there. Um, so, you know, truth comes out and uh, yeah, the, the mom ends up playing kind of his emotional grounding to his lightning bolt, so to speak. I just find it fascinating that she believes in the champion so much and then the Justice Society shows up and she's not exactly happy with them because where no. were they before? And then yeah. all of a sudden she believes them. It's almost like, huh, you you, you bought that one real, real quick and mm-hmm. then went to go face down the champion. Like, he's going to really care what you think. Um, but then there's Marwin Kanzari, 
who played Ishmael slash King Octo slash Sabak. Um, you know, in a film where you have an anti-hero who's kind of the villain and then Justice Society who's the villain to the anti-hero, um, how was Marwan Kanzari for you? He was kind of, uh, how do I put this nicely? How do I put this nicely, Wiss? I think he was like an early 2000s campy villain. The As soon as the twist happened where he started to take a turn. And that that was early, right? That was in the cave that we mm-hmm. kind of figured out that he was with that hit squad. And that's why they didn't really kill him. Uh, oh, no, actually before that, when he killed his buddy that came in with him. Yeah. Uh, we started to figure out at that point that, oh, okay, so he's going to do a lot of really stereotypical, campy villain things. He's going to kidnap the kid he's gonna it was pretty telegraphing for the Mm. most part um and then he puts on the crown now the part that threw me off because i i'm not super uh familiar with sabak's story in the comics was when the crown killed him and i thought to myself no we're not ending the story there like there's got to be a big cgi fight right it's got to be a big one How how do we and then of course there was so now he was just very one dimensional Mm-hmm. Very forgettable. And, and and that's the problem with this. Like you have an anti-hero and there's supposed to be some depth, right? And you get a little bit of that. You know, with Pierce Brosnan, you know, you have what's supposed to be the you know, the 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 dichotomy between, you know, Kent Nelson and Kent Nelson in the helmet and you get a muted down version of that. You know, you get Hawkman, who is, you know, just go in and smash things, you know, with his mace. Um, There's not a lot of depth to these characters. They're very, they feel like one note characteristics. You're good, you're bad. You're Dwayne Johnson. Like it's. You're good, you're bad, you're Dwayne. (laughs) Pretty much, right? I love the way that's phrased. (laughs) But to that token, it's not like there's a lot of other superhero movies out there that do anything much different. So why doesn't it seem to work necessarily here, at least from a script perspective? This, again, this is not on the actors. This is not on the director, because I do think visually the film looks great. Um, I could have done without the stock music uh, score through the whole thing, but why doesn't the script land as well? Can I, uh, I'm glad you brought up the score. Can I, do you mind if I, I want to get to the script real quick, but Mm -hmm. I want to give credit where credit's due. There's one sequence in particular that first off, I thought was very Iron Man 1-esque of him emerging from the cave, reborn, and lots of fire around him. The painted black song Mm -hmm. that was originally baked into the score and then full-blown, when it hit slow motion, it fully turned into Paint It Black. No, no, that was good. I, I'll, yes, one of, absolutely. One of, the yeah. cooler, one of the cooler scenes from any comic book movie I've ever seen. And it was so on point. Like the, I'm sure they were looking up songs with the word black in it. <laughs> but, but that was just, it was really, really cool. It really set the tone. It felt... Like it was in the style and in the tone of Condock as well. Like I know they use a lot of acoustic guitar there. 
So that that felt very authentic, even though I know it's, you know, it's the stones, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I yeah, I loved that sequence. I, I just want to give credit there if we were talking about the score. I'm... I have to say, I am glad that when it transitions out of the score into the actual song, that they went with the Rolling Stones version. Yes. Given, I mean, as much as I like the Gob version, it wouldn't fit uh, tonally. It's punk. But I'm surprised they didn't look at the Tea Party version because I think the Tea Party's instrumentation on that song might have fit a little bit better, but I got nothing wrong with the original. I have nothing wrong with the original either. It's now <laughs> with the good, there's bad. What did you think about the no one man should have all that power scene later on? <clears throat> Again, those are the two main songs I was thinking about from this movie. Yeah, no, it's you're right. Paint it black hits well. Everything else, music wise, and this coming from a musician, like I, I just keep picturing that. You know, the dun, 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 digga, digga, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh, good. I finished the, the the video game level. I can move on now. <laughs> That's kind of how it feels like, like the end of a of yeah. a cut scene of an 8-bit side scroller. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Now, that being said, an 8-bit version of that soundtrack that I can get behind. Yeah. P- Painted Black, yes, for in the movie. Great sequence. No One Man Should Have All That Power. I think it's by Kanye West. That should have been a trailer song, like a first teaser trailer song. And it could have been obviously changed, not like the original song. I think that would have maybe served it better. I think it fits with Black Adam. It didn't fit in that moment. I don't know. It's it's just my thoughts. Maybe, Maybe we need to fade to black from Metallica. Yeah, hey. Right. Hey, I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to it. Well, we scored. That's got, a, that's got a good one too. But getting back to know. the script, why does this script not land as well as others, even though it does a lot of the same things that others do? I think the characters are flawed. I think that they try to tell you in the beginning that they are a certain way, and throughout you see them changing. And typically in these stories, there's a causality. There's a something realizing. Like the fact that Black Adam felt the need to have a catchphrase because a kid told him to have a catchphrase. Like, come on. Excuse me. Come on. And then on top of that, like, you know, why Noah Centineo's Adam Smasher, why he wasn't completely terrified rather than he was just quipping all the time. Mm -hmm. And again, I laughed at some of the jokes. I enjoyed them. But if you're going to comment on how green they are, they should mess up. Yeah. They should do things that are not professional. They should be a little timid. They should maybe run away from a fight, maybe go to save the people when, you know, the battle's right there. Maybe do something against Hawkman's wishes that they believe, like something that's inexperienced. That, um, like that, That's yeah. something I'll, I'll give to Justice League, you know, when, when they're first fighting the, uh, the parademons. Right and Flash, Batman, right? yeah, Batman has to pull the Flash aside and say, "Save just one." Right, like Flash is terrified. Yeah, Flash is completely out of his league. Yeah, that made sense. We got robbed of that relationship. That was that was going to be, I believe, a bit of a Tony Stark Spider Man relationship. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think we got robbed of that. I really, really believe, especially with the end of The Flash as well. Again, I'm spoiling the end of The Flash, but who cares? Where we have like four different Batman and we don't know who's our Batman anymore. Well, it's not going to be any of them, but... Yeah, it's not going to be Val Kilmer, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 buddy. Yeah, I went there. Ooh. I went there. Um wow. Okay, let's get to the cameos here, because, of course, there, there was a lot of talk about those cameos, starting off with Viola Davis returning as Amanda Waller. Um, obviously, the best part of the Suicide Squad movies, when she popped up on Hawkman's screen, how happy were you? I was happy until she said the words, who's on the team? She's Amanda Waller. She's the Nick Fury of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. You don't ask, don't ask stupid questions and don't ask questions you already know the answer to. You should be saying, did you get the list of recruits that I referred to you? And Hawkman should have said, yeah, but I picked my own team anyways. That's how that should have went down. Mm-hmm. She should not be asking stupid questions. And I love Viola Davis. I love her portrayal of Amanda Waller. I think she has stood the test of time. She's one of the few DC characters that has actually stood the test of time, not just showed up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's been solid. I really wish we could have seen more of her, um, but I'm also very glad that this universe is ending because they've wasted, what, five to ten fantastic castings among a horrible uh, sheet of horrible writing and spotty CGI and no project planning whatsoever. So it seems, I don't know if they have boardrooms, but this is what, <laughs> what it, it's what it comes across as to us fans. It looks like you guys are making it up as we go along. Yeah. Um, Jamon Hansu, re, you know, reappearing as the wizard. That, that makes sense given the, the property here. Jennifer Holland returning as Harcourt. No comment. <laughs> really? <laughs> Nepotism at its finest. I mean, it, it does make sense to put her in there because, of course, if Waller's going to be in there and, you know, she's part of Waller's team, then it makes sense that she's there. And, of course, the the success of, of Peacemaker kind of helps sell that, that role as well. Um, you know, uh, some of it does feel like they're, they're, they're tying Black Adam to something that worked in that sense. But then there's the big one at the end. Henry Cavill as Superman, which kind of feels anticlimactic now. But I mean, how I, I know this 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 cameo got spoiled on Twitter because Twitter is a cesspool of ruining things. But still, that moment when we thought that we had seen the last of Henry Cavill, we got one last one. Yeah, what a crazy 30 days, eh? Right? I remember that. Being, man, being a fan at that time, it was like, and forgive me if I get the timeline wrong, but it was like we got a message from James Gunn saying, or no, it wasn't James Gunn yet. It was the CEO or something before James Gunn. Mm-hmm. He came in and he said, yeah, you know, we're kind of replacing some of the Justice League guys. I don't think we're going to renew Henry's contract. And then... A week before the premiere of Black Adam, Dwayne Johnson came on and said, we've been listening to the fans. We know you're upset. I'm here to help. And you know what? It was a nice message. And then the movie came out and obviously things were spoiled. And then we find out Henry Cavill's back. And then two weeks later, uh, Henry Cavill takes to Instagram saying, oh, this is great. You know, the, the reaction from the fans. We love you guys. This is why we do it. Yada, yada, all that. And then like a week later, James Gunn goes, yeah, but is it though? <laughs> 
I I wonder, and we had discussed this over on just another nerd show, in that at this point, the DCEU was waving the white flag. Things were getting canceled. You know, you had, I mean, let's just look at the list here, right? You had DCEU imploding, Ezra Miller on the run, Zatanna canceled, Batgirl shelved. The Wonder Twin movies, they had cast it, and then a week later, they canceled it. You had Static Shock, which was in development. The Green Lantern Corps. We don't know what's happening with Wonder Woman 3. Like, it felt like, you know, any of those DC, you know, you know Hall H type presentations got thrown out the window. And you're eating the table scraps of what's left because the meal is going to be served anyways. Is it hard to, to get hype for a project that you know and a franchise is dying? Well, that's why I thought this was a little timely that you asked me to uh, to do this because of the release of Blue Beetle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to be seeing that firsthand. My brother even, who he's not even a big comic book guy, he texted me the other day. And he goes, hey, have you heard? Blue Beetle, it's bombing. I'm like, well, it's not out yet. So he goes, oh, yeah, well, I heard it's going to bomb. I said, well, we don't know that, but we know that. <laughs> like, it's it's projected to have DC's lowest. And, and I feel bad for Zolo. Um, uh, last name I cannot pronounce. Um, so I'm just going to keep calling him Zolo from the Karate Kid spinoff. Right. Uh, because I, I, I genuinely think in another timeline, he crushes it. As Blue Beetle. Maybe even in this movie, I think he'll crush it. I think he should. I think every piece is in place to do well. It's just in an era where we're doing this world building, right? We're hearing about Kong and Godzilla and how they're doing another thing now. I think it was confirmed maybe a month ago or something that they're doing a third or fourth movie now. Um, And then they're doing something with uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe and now they're doing something with Marvel. Uh, not now, but they've been doing stuff with Marvel. It's really hard as a fan to get invested in these storylines when you know that they're not really going anywhere. Like, I'll watch it, but I'm not going to give you any money for it. I'm going to just keep paying for the streaming service that it's inevitably going to end up on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 2022 was weird, right? We're getting out of the pandemic, the theaters are starting to open up. And I, and I remember, you know, going to see the Batman and um, was it The Lost City with Sandra Bullock and, you know, some of these early 2022 movies and the theater was empty. And it was weird because you weren't quite sure if it was safe. You had people who were legitimately probably dealing with the, a fear of going out, you know, a fear of being around people because for two years we were told stay the f- away from people and we did. And you know, it takes some time to ramp back up and then throw in the fact that the cost of everything has gone up aside from the cost of movie tickets and the, the cost of popcorn and everything else they charge you for at the, at the movie theaters these days. You have food costs more, gas costs more, everything costs more. Can you justify 
going to the theaters. And there's going to be, you know, when the movie history books look back at these early post-pandemic years, they're going to have to put an asterisk, I think, on, on every box office that's not Barbenheimer and say, it's not, people weren't ready to spend that money at that point. And I think, too, you mentioned the streaming services. Everyone's got a streaming service right now. And if the pandemic taught us anything, it was patience. The patience yeah. of waiting for the theater. Or, you know, if you've got a family, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, two parents, two kids, three kids, whatever, going to the movie theater... Like a hundred bucks. That's a ton of cheddar right there. Whereas like you wait two weeks and you can rent it on your on your cable package at home. I'm gonna say that, knowing that people probably just stream it illegally, but let's say they just <laughs> let let's say they rent it from home, from like Prime Video or something like that. Whether well, you're paying one price to rent and getting everyone to sit at home with your own homemade popcorn and save a ton of money. Mm-hmm. You know, and before Barbenheimer, you could argue that maybe the days of using the box office as a metric for the success of a film is dead. And I think there's an argument for that still. You know, I, th- I think 2023, Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and Super Mario Brothers movie, I think are the outliers of 2023 and I think the box office at least for another year or two or until the prices start to go down and we get out of this recession isn't the metric that people need to look at for success or failure in 2023 in 2022 definitely not and I think looking at the box office and calling this a failure it's not justified there are other things to point out, for sure, as we have. But I think Black Adam, get rid of the DCEU deathbed, if you will. Get rid of the, the lack of box office. This is not a 38% film. I don't know if it's 88%, but I don't think it's a 38%. It's at least 39 Oh, you're being generous. <laughs> no, no, but legitimately, where do you see this film? Uh, I thought when it first came out, I'm like, ah, it'll be a little over 50. Maybe it'll touch 60. I, I, did, I didn't see it being the, you know, across the Spider-Verse sitting at 99% or whatever it was for as long as that was. Um, no, I, I, I have a feeling like... <sighs> there's always something to be said about how actors market their movies and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, Wes, but this is just what I have learned is that actors don't feel the need to market their movies as much. If the movie speaks for itself, I find a lot of times when actors say, Hey, yeah, you should come to the movie. Yeah. Like for example, do you hear Chillian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Simu Liu, Do you hear any of them saying, oh, come to the theater. We need you. Come to the theater. No, they're just talking about the movie. They're just doing their regular marketing. They're having fun, but, you know, they're not 
being like Dwayne Johnson here where they're kind of being pushy, where they're like, eh, yeah, come to the theater. come, You got to come. Yeah, I know this is going to change your life. Yeah, for sure. No, it didn't change my life. It wasn't that like you can't overhype something like that. I felt like that was the the um, the folly of the Flash movie was that it was so hyped. Like there was a screening beforehand and they were like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest comic book movie ever. And then we went to the theaters and we were like, eh, it was okay. CG wasn't finished. They didn't give him any more money. Ezra Miller's still a piece of shit. Yeah, my life goes on. I mean, I, I think getting to Dwayne Johnson's promotion of the film, and you're right, he yeah. he was definitely out there and overhyping the film, but... Yeah. In in his defense, he comes from WWE. That's true. And if anything, anyone who's ever watched WWE or any wrestling federation knows, you oversell the crap out of everything wrestling. That's the game. That's how you get to be arguably the biggest wrestler of their day. And, I hear you. And The Rock was, I, de- I, was definitely up there, but I don't know if that translates necessarily after a while. Okay, let me let me phrase it this way. Did you enjoy Jumanji? I did. But it okay. was but it wasn't for Dwayne Johnson. No, it wasn't. Did he hype the shit out of that movie? Not as much as Black Adam. Not as much at all. So I felt like it was, It felt almost desperate that he was trying to get people out to the theaters. Like he was really trying to become the main focus of this thing. I wonder if, and you take a look at the tonality of it, right? Like when he was promoting Jungle Cruise, it wasn't yeah. as as ferocious. It was more in in a fun way, and yeah. that maybe that maybe that's more on the property per se. But here he is coming out and saying, you know, the power structure is going to change in a pro- in a franchise that's literally on its last legs. You're definitely overhyping for sure. And it, it did feel more all about him where I'm not going to lie. The, the What I was looking forward to was watching Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Fate. And, you know, I would, you're right. Had it been a much more badass Teth Adam, I think would have sold better because that that's what made Hugh Jackman the best Wolverine. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I, th- I feel like if Dwayne Johnson had taken like the hockey player approach to this movie and had listed off all of his castmates and said, look, you're getting stellar performances from this person, this person, this person. Oh, and we're also introducing a small character called Black Adam. Like just kind of threw himself in at the end. Mm-hmm. I feel like this would have done a little better. Because if you hype up the group, then the group thrives. If you're really just piecing yourself together, then people at the end of the movie, even if your character was the outstanding character, all they're going to say at the end of it is, okay, well, we can throw away the rest of the cast and, yeah, whose movie is he going to show up in next? Like, Yeah. eh. I mean, it's also, too, not that far off of the whole, you know, (laughs) it feels like he kind of broke up the family. In the Fast and the Furious, where you had all of a sudden you had the Hobbs and Shaw film, and you had him and Vin Diesel kind of sniping at each other, and like Fast and the Furious is like an unstoppable train or car or whatever they're driving these days. You know, <laughs> you, you can't really stop that franchise. It's going to make money, most of it overseas. You know, and maybe maybe it's just me, 
and um, now yes, apparently now they've they've mended fences and they're back you know, they're back to being cool and part of the family. Did Dwayne Johnson feel like a homewrecker when it came to the Fast and the Furious? I mean, you could say that about multiple franchises there, Wiss. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that about many things. You could now say that about DC, although there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes. But I, I genuinely think Dwayne Johnson meant well when he came into DC. He brought back Henry Cavill, even if it was for a cameo. Like He was trying to show some good faith. He was bringing in characters that, like Dr. Fate, like, can you imagine if they reset the DC universe and we said, wow, in the Snyderverse, we never got to see Dr. Fate or Hawkman or Hawkgirl, like any of these. I, I, I'm just, I'm glad that he didn't just pull from, because he easily could have had a Black Adam movie and had the Justice League in it rather than the Justice Society. Yeah. Right? I think he, could, he could have waited. It was the right call, I think, to go with the Justice Society because it was different. Right. And the whole idea is that, you know, probably you're leaning towards the Justice League going against Black Adam or maybe, you know, Black Adam starts or gets recruited by an eventual Legion of Doom or whatever. But obviously that's in a that's in another earth. That's in another earth. But (laughs) Kevin, it has come time. Who is your MVP of Black Adam? Ooh. Now, okay. I got to preface it with this MVP. It's most valuable to the plot, most valuable to the movie. This is all, it's always the conversation <laughs> in sports, right? Most valuable to the team or most valuable to the league. Okay. If you're doing the black item here, you got to stick to the game plan, uh, put lightning bolts on the net and good things will happen. But I think it's the Lights MVP here, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Lightning bolts in deep. Let's go. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Certain connotations with that one. Well, we, uh, well, at least it's not in Michael Keaton's Batman suit. But that's okay. Um, but if the MVP in this sense is the most valuable part of the film for your enjoyment. Okay. Um, that's why I needed to clarify because I think the outstanding performance is Dr. Fate. I think the outstanding sequence is the paint of black sequence. That for me is is the only thing I take away from this movie. I can see that because there, there is a lot that goes into the plotting of those scenes. And in some cases, I mean, you take a look at um, X-Men Days of Future Past or, or you know, afterwards Apocalypse, the Quicksilver scenes, of course, you could sit there and argue that, yeah, that Quicksilver scene in Apocalypse may be the best damn thing out of that film, even if it had been done already in Days of Future Past. Here, yes, absolutely, that slow-mo, uh, light him up, lightning bolts in deep scene coming out to paint it black definitely um, stands out as one of the better scenes in this film. And again, I completely agree. Pierce Brosnan, without a doubt, not just the character of Dr. Fate, but Pierce Brosnan himself, my MVP for Black Adam. Because let's be honest, if you're going to put Pierce Brosnan in anything... Even with the movie sucks, he's going to be good. Still can't get over the the king's daughter from the <laughs> movies of 2022. I, oh. I still like him, but, you know, maybe not that film. Kev, <laughs> thank you so much for joining in and coming back to have a little fun with a little bit of geekery. Now to you, our listeners. You guys know the drill. If there is a film out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in conduct that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on X, I guess, at Not That Badcast or on any other social media platform at Not That Badcast. 
or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. And while you're there, make sure you check out our coming soon page so you can see some of the movies that we are going to be discussing on this show in future episodes. And drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you guys. Until next time, Kev, thank you so much. Listeners, you guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.